if by now you have not understood that the focus of this season um, is none other than Jesus himself, um, I'm hoping you reflect on everything that has been done. Because we realize indeed he is the reason, not just for the season, he's the reason we are here. He is the reason that we even even want to celebrate, even consider celebrating. Understand that if he didn't crack and if he didn't dawn on our world, we would not want him. This was not something that we say, oh, Jesus, you look good. No, the scripture tells us while we were still dead in our sins that he actually died so that he could change. But in order for him to die, he had to be born. In order for him to die as a human, God in the flesh, he had to be born. And he was one that came with a purpose and a mission and that was ultimately fulfilled. Can I have a stand as we get ready to read the scripture together? I thank God for all that was done today and praise God from the teens to the choir to our kids and adults and those in between that worshiped the Lord in dance. It was amazing. As we read this story, I would encourage you, I love reading this every Christmas, I would encourage you to, if you don't already, you may, to have a portion of the story that you reflect on and read every year at Christmas. Um, I thank God for all of the celebrations and the family and people that we get to be around, and I thank God for all the things that we do and the gifts that we give and receive, but I love being able to read this part because it reminds me of God's true love for us and how he demonstrated it, how he made good on his promise over the years, thousands, and that day he delivered. And that tells me that God delivers and that there isn't anything that can stop God making good on his promise. Let's read together, starting at verse 4. If you have your Bibles, if not, you can turn to the centerfold of your bulletins. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped them in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Amen. You may be seated. This story just, it, 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 it has so many parts and themes and things to it. You could be, you could spend weeks on this. We're not, but you can. You can spend weeks on this, delving into all of what God was saying and doing at this time. But if I'm going to title this, I would say, Jesus, Son of God, Gift from God. I would title this, Jesus, Son of God, Gift from God. And as we look at this, what we see is, is, is God reminding us through this birth of his plan, of his kingdom that would come, that would dawn, that one day the baby would become an adult, and that adult would, would, would introduce, and as a matter of fact, we're, we're jumping ahead as we just finish more toward the, toward the end, because we spent time in Matthew, and we looked at the kingdom of God coming. We looked at Christ bringing in the, the, the dawning of the kingdom. We looked at that as he, as he now was baptized, and as he had his years of ministry, we saw what he would do, but we kind of went back to the prequel. You know how they do movies? As we spent time in Matthew with him and his adult, we jumped back and we had to see where it all started. And if they can do it with Star Wars movies, we can do it with the scriptures. And so we see here that I'm going to start actually at verse 1. I wanted to make sure that the, that, that, that the heart of the story fit with us to read, but I'm going to start at verse 1. It says, in those days of chapter 2, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And it's interesting, it says, this was the first registration when um, Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And this was interesting that you get in, you get here Luke mentioning two of these great known in that region, highly powerful rulers at that particular time, Caesar Augustus, who at times, it's interesting how God was comparing the two, you know, that which man calls something and that which actually truly exists. You, you might have heard of what was called the imperial cult back in the days of Rome and where they worshiped the emperor as a god. And Julius Caesar was the one who accepted that title and that he was to be a god. And so his son, or the one that was brought on, Octavian is his actual name, but, but, but he became Caesar Augustus after he was brought on. He didn't necessarily act like his father, Julius, 
but he accepted the titles. And one of the titles that was given to the emperor in this imperial cult, now that he had brought Rome back into high power, he was called son of God. And it's interesting that Luke, when he opens his story, opens with Caesar Augustus, the one who man called son of God. And then he talks about Quirinius, the governor of Syria, also high power. He's talking about, he mentions the elite, and these elite did something that, 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 that rulers did when they wanted to prepare for either taxation or military action. They registered, they wanted to know who they had. They, he wanted to know the people, and so one or two things was going to happen. Either they were getting ready to levy a tax, which would be a burden on the people, or they were getting ready to take them into war, and they were seeing the men that they had. And so in this case, they called for a registration. See, but even though the imperial leaders, even though the Son of God, and even though those that had high power had their plan, what they did not know is that sovereignly God was allowing their little thing, although it was big by human standards, to play into his timing for what he wanted to do. See, because understand, there was this couple, there was this, there was this unknown couple that God had invaded their world. We just heard about them over the last few weeks. There, there was this couple that, that, that no one was talking about before then, even though Joseph was part of the lineage of David, he was living in Nazareth. Now, you remember whenever Jesus came into ministry, one of the things they said about him when he would come on the scene, you know, people, they like to talk behind your back. When he showed up and people started talking about Jesus, they was like, Nazareth? What did they say? Can anything good come from Nazareth? So this couple that was from Nazareth that no one talked about, God wanted to get them after he decided he would choose and use them to bear the Savior, he wanted to get them to Bethlehem. Now, he could have done it any number of ways he wanted to, but he chose this. He chose that, I know you're going to get a census going because you need to find out the people that you have on hand. And so I know that my boy here, Joseph, is of the lineage of David, and you're going to call a registration, and that registration is going to have people go back to the place of their lineage, not where they live, of their lineage. And so in you doing all that, and you thinking you're going to get money for taxation, or you're going to form your military, I'm working out my cosmic plan for what I want to do. Can you see the sovereign hand of God in the working of man. I want us to see that. Because God is like, don't sweat what man decides. I know they think they are all that. And a Sam's Club size bag of chips. I know they do. I'm sure Augustus thought he was. If you've ever been to Rome, there are statues of this dude all over still. Some of them from back then, many of them modern-day imitations. But Caesar Augustus, his statue is all over Rome still. And it's interesting because when we went there that first time and I remember seeing that, I was like, ah, you were the one that they referenced when Jesus was born. 
You were the big shot when the real big shot was being born. But we see that God came into this powerful world, this Roman Empire, the great Roman Empire, which would be temporary, by the way, and he was introducing what would become his kingdom. But we have to see how he does it because it says something about how God's kingdom would be. The one thing that he did, so then he came in this, in this, in this powerful, overpowering situation, and, and, and he says, when these two were in rule, when these two were in power, they call for a registration, and everyone went to their own place. And so we see the highly powerful making decisions that would affect everyone, including the lowly. But then he goes from high to low. He mentions, look at this, Caesar, Quirinius, and then he says, but Joseph and Mary, in the same phrase and sentence, went to be registered. No one cared about Joseph and Mary. Most people didn't even know that they existed. But God goes from high, I'm going to tell you what was going on, and then he goes to the low. And he takes the low, and he's going to do something with them. But he gets the low, and that low has to travel to Bethlehem. And when that low gets there, once again, God is giving you the picture of the situation of the birth of his son. Look, don't... don't don't let it get lost in the season. Look at the context of what he's doing. In the face of high and mighty man, God is bringing about his son in an environment of total lowliness. In the presence of regalness and, 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 and human glory, God is bringing his thing about in that which seems unnoticed. And as a matter of fact, very peasant and very poor because Mary and Joseph were not people of means. And so he brings them out, brings them into Bethlehem. And when they get there, because a census has been called, most times, okay, let's not think of the Holiday Inn. Let's not think of the guest house. And it says there was no room for them in the inn. That's what we think. So when they got there, there were no vacancy signs up. No, most times the way peasant families worked is if you had friends or family, they lived most times, especially if you were poor, where the animals were and where you were in what was in one big enclosed area. And so the animals were on the ground and up above were where the people stayed. And so if you had friends and guests and if it was too busy and there was no more room upstairs, you stayed downstairs with the animals. And it was no big deal. And so in this particular case, when they got there, and the way that it's structured and written, it isn't like they got there that night and there was like, oh man, we ain't got no place to stay, y'all. No. It would, when, they, when they came, the friends or family that they would stay with, that's where they were living. And as they were there registering for the census, because everyone was moving all over, God was moving people all over. As they were there, the scripture mentions this, the time came for the baby to be born. Luke knew exactly what he was writing, because there's a double meaning in that. When he says the, con the time came, it was time for Mary to deliver. The time came. It was time for the baby to come. But God would also say that it was time for his son to come. God says, now is the time. And for some of you, 
in our lives, God, he does it with all of us. He says, now is the time for whatever it is he's doing. It may seem like the most inconvenient. It may seem like the most crazy time. It might seem like the most unlikely time. But scripture says at that time, while they were there, it was time. It was time from a human perspective and it was time from a godly perspective. And understand, you see the sovereign hand of God acting through all of this. So that's the setting. It said it was the time. The high and the low would be referenced in the plan of God. But we think, and we still operate like this, we think that God honors the high more than he does the low. You know how I know? Because of how we treat the high. How we treat him. We think God honors the high more than he does the low. And we place value on it for different reasons. Now, this is not the reverse, that God curses the high and he just honors the low. No. What he is saying here is the world's way of doing things, and that's what he gives the picture of when Luke starts this account. The world's way of doing things is high is mentioned, low just has to respond to whatever high says. But God is introducing his economy. And where God starts is where everyone is, although some don't recognize it. He starts with the low. Because in his eyes, everyone is low. In his eyes and from his view, there is no high. From his eyes and his perspective, everyone are like the people that he would come to. Bringing no value, bringing nothing to the table, bringing nothing that would give you worth in his eyes. And so now he comes. And I want you to see the ordinary nature to the birth here. We said the setting. Now let's look at this first one, Jesus being born. It says here, Luke says, verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Verse 7, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for the man. Do you see the ordinariness of that? Uh, understand what is happening. The Son of God is entering the world, and there's no fanfare. Not there, at least. Not where he was born. Wherever they were staying, the people that were around knew that Mary was delivering this child. And Luke gives that account in one verse. While they were there, she gave birth to her firstborn son. And Luke chose his words carefully because not only was he first, that there was no connection to Joseph bringing about this child, but first in that he would receive all the rights of the firstborn. And understand, he was of the house of David. And so all the rights of the firstborn and to kingship were his. And so Luke was mentioning he is the rightful firstborn heir. And so when he's writing the story, because he wants folks to understand this, he says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn. But it was so ordinary, you would have missed it. Wouldn't have made the news. And then she did something that most people did back then. I know in your manger scenes, I was saying this to my wife this morning, I was just reminded, 
I know in your manger scenes, Jesus' hands are out, and he's just, even on the video we showed this morning, and hands, and he's, it said they wrapped him in swaddling clothes. You know what swaddling clothes? They were strips or bands of cloth that they wrapped around. You know when babies are born today, they do this today too in hospitals. They wrap them babies tight, hands can't move, arms can't move, because they're keeping them warm, and it still reminds them of the environment they just left. And so they wrap them, and, and they can't move. They're in these strips of cloth. That's what swaddling cloths are. And so they lay him, and I know the manger sounds so beautiful, and we make it in the pictures look so nice. Remember, they were staying on the level where the animals were. And so there was no bed, there was no air mattress, there was no hospital suite, um, there was no NICU, there was no... There were where the animals were, and so what they had to do is to make sure that the feeding trough was cleaned, and to make sure they probably lined it with hay so that you wouldn't have the baby touch whatever was there. Do you see the environment that God chose to bring his king into? God chose this. This wasn't some accident. He brought him in the most lowly way that you could bring a person into the world and it still be humane. That after he was born and gave birth and they cut the umbilical cord around the animals, not exactly sterile, they wrapped him in cloths and put him in a feeding trough. And God saw fit that that was okay. Why? Why? Why would God, God, your king, you just mentioned Caesar Augustus and and. Quirinius and both of these, why didn't you bring him in in regal fashion? Because the statement that would be made later will tell the tale. But God says, I want you to see the environment because God says, I want you to see who and what is important to me as well. In this world of elite power and control, God says, I have eyes on the lowly. And I come to them and I minister to them and I and I value them and I raise them up. And actually, the prophecy is true. He said he will bring the low high and the high low. And his bringing Christ in that fashion spoke highly to Augustus and Quirinius. He says, my king is here. And I'm not bringing him to you at all. I'm bringing them here. You Think of yourself as the son of God and as this imperial cult and all power. And you can keep that thought, but I'm bringing my son here. And in essence, what he's saying, and if you want to be a part of this kingdom, you will bow here. And God is telling mankind, the only way you will come to my savior is if you bow. You will have to find him among the low, not among the high. You will have to find him among sometimes the powerless. We see, if you read through the different stages of church history, you will see the church grew its strongest when it was under its deepest and its most persecution. Read any of the accounts. Go throughout history. When the church was born and, 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 
And it was on the scene. It was with extreme persecution and suffering that it grew. And over the years, every society where the church grew. Right now, that's happening to our brothers and sisters in places like China and in places like the Middle East to where it is illegal to gather and to be known by that name. And it is under extreme suffering that right now, that's where the, the, the highest growth of Christians is being experienced right now is among these suffering nations. Why? Because God, in his sovereign wisdom and power, always puts, along with extreme suffering, extreme hope. That's God. And we are to be like that as well. We mentioned about the, 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 the article, I mean, the story by um, Steve Jefferson in WTHR. We were, we were excited by it. But as my wife shared earlier, I was excited by that fact that the anchors were so excited and that they put it in the proper perspective. They said, here is a church that is not only because they understand that the church meets spiritual needs. I'm glad they said that first. They said they are not only meeting spiritual needs. Thank you very much, guys. But they are meeting physical needs. And that's what God does. But he meets the people that know that they are low and that look to him to be raised up. But the people that think that they are high and they don't need him, the people that think that my lifestyle and my life resources and who I am and what I have and who I know uh, leads me to go, I don't need God. And God says, well, I, I, don't, I don't want you yet. Because you still think you all that. When you realize you are nothing, I'm here. And he told it from the beginning in the story of his son. And if that wasn't enough, we get the shepherds next. And as you look here, it says in verse 8, and in the same region. Understand, region of what? From where the baby was born. In the same region, but far enough away that the people that were around Jesus being born didn't see what God was doing here. God was about to make a, a, a cosmic announcement, and you would think he would go to Jerusalem because that's where the Savior would go to die. You would think he would make that before this great, great crowd of people. He comes in the middle of the field. Understand when we read this, the presence of God was normally experienced in the temple. That's where the presence of God was normally experienced. The priests would come, they would, they, would, they would go through, remember the story when John the Baptist was born, that his father, Zechariah, was in the temple going about what he was supposed to do, and the angel appeared to him there. Well, here when Jesus comes, when the greater one comes, look where the presence of God is now. It's usually in the temple. Where is it now? Well, let's read. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Where was this? In the field. Out on the farm. Where the sheep were. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So God now takes his, temp his, his, his glory from the temple to the field. 
from the place that had now become a place of status, because that's what happened with that temple. It wasn't a place where God's glory, because we see it too. Because remember, when Jesus came to the temple as an adult, he walked in and they were buying and they were selling. It wasn't just that they were buying and selling that he had the problem with. The issue was where they were buying and selling. It is believed that where they were buying or selling were in the court of the Gentiles. That was where the outsiders were to come to worship God, and the insiders took it over and took away their space. So they had no place to meet before God. And Jesus walked in and cleared the temple. So the temple had become a place of status. So God goes, I got one for you. I'm going to bring my glory, not in the temple, in the middle of the field. I'm bringing it to a farm. And he said, the glory of the Lord shone around to shepherds. And I've said this before, and when we were at Bloom, we said this last week. So those of you who are there, you'll hear it again. When he chose shepherds, what God was saying is, I am for everyone. Because shepherds on the list were on the on a very, really one step above being with nothing on the peasant list were shepherds. They had very, as a matter of fact, what they had normally couldn't meet the needs they had. And they had to sleep outside with their investment because the sheep were there living. And so it wasn't that they were just hanging out late at night. No, shepherds, that's what they did. They all had their fold, their flock of sheep. And so they would stay outside. And so they would smell like their sheep. They would not be people that you would want to come around because when they came around, you knew where they had been. You ever been around farmers before? Especially during... Um, the season where they spread the fertilizer. If you've ever been around it, they do not smell good. I'll never forget the day that we realized the place that we lived in when we lived in Switzerland. The, the place we lived in was a field for cows. We moved there in the winter, so there, it was just this big open field. And one day we came home and started smelling this. Oh, that, that smells like fertilizer. And then a few days later, we realized, oh, that was a pasture for cows. And from time to time, they would close off the street in front of our building as they walked the cows down the street to the other pasture that they would feed in. And we were like, okay, we're living like right next to a pasture. We didn't realize that. We smelt it first. And so I can imagine those men and women who ran those pastures, when they came around others, if they didn't clean up, smelled like that. And those were your shepherds. And God brings his sons news to spread and to proclaim to the lowly. See, but nothing has changed because he did that to you and me. I know we think that our careers have gained us a foothold in our education and our residences and what we have and our resources, and those are all well and good, and there is nothing wrong with them. Keep using them, keep enjoying them, and you know what? Keep looking to attain those things which would better yourself. There's nothing wrong with that, but God says that does not define you to me. None of it. He says you are defined by me in you. 
And so he comes to the shepherds, and it says that they were sitting there with their flock, and the glory of the Lord shines about. And I know they were afraid because they had never seen anything like that. No one comes to them first when they're introducing anything. We got a new product. We're going to go to the shepherds. We don't do that today. We have new products. We have test products. We, we, we test it among resource areas. When they, when they bring out certain things in the area, they will go. As a matter of fact, when they're trying to test shows, how many of you guys have Nielsen boxes? Have ever had one? Yeah, it's, 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 it's rare. They will choose a select set of people that they want to hear from to get their opinion. But most times, no one wants to hear what the poor have to say. No one wants to hear it. And surely don't want to value it, even if we hear it. But God says, every last one of you are poor before me. And he goes, I want you all to know. God says, I start at the bottom. Before I mess it up. In the world, we start at the top and work our way to the bottom. Value, and it trickles on down. What God has demonstrated here and throughout, he goes, since we are all on that plane, value, and it trickles up and down meets him. I mean, and up meets him down. See, that was the reason why the Pharisees and the Sadducees had such problems with Jesus. To them, Jesus was probably ghetto. I was like, this dude, really? And you bring this ragtag group from Galilee. Galilee was the country. He said, you bring these old country folk up here to Jerusalem and you want to do something. And you done skipped over all the elite that's here, but you want to do something with this group? That's why when they said with Peter, they was like, you one of them. Because it wasn't hard to tell a Galilean. And they would refer to Jesus the Galilean. Jesus that country dude. Now, there's nothing wrong with the country at all, but city folk tend to have this attitude. I was one of them. City folk tend to have this attitude that those that don't live in the city, like, y'all don't count. Or we got the market on, as my mom would say, sadiddy. Some of y'all know that term. Them folks sadiddy. And what God did 